Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song's Second Chance Theater, where we recover a topic with a new, but with a new guest. I'm your host, John, and with me today, she's well. I tortured her with an opera, and she tortured me with an opera. It's Ariana Armand, everyone. Hi, <laughs> Ariana. Yes, I fucking hate the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Okay, well, we're, we're, we're going to have a nice little talk about this. Yes, um, we are. We are. So let me, I feel like I need to kind of fill you in on some things you may not know, and, and obviously fill the listeners in on things they may not know. And uh, <laughs> that is how close I am to Phantom of the Opera. John, you, you know. I do um, know. So first of all, and this may color, you may think this colors my, my view of this film. As soon as we found out this film was greenlit, back in like 2002 2003 i was campaigning very hard to be seen for christine oh at one point i was promised an audition oh shit then joel schumacher came on and wouldn't see anybody over 17 for christine and i was 23 what (laughs) yeah um so i did not get my audition that i was promised Oh, that's and, terrible. Yeah. Um, so I blame this film for creating this idea that Christine is incredibly young. She's not. Um, huh. and, and and you kind of noticed a shift in casting once uh, this film came out on on the stage production and that and I and even today the casting notice for Christine says look as young as possible. So Which obviously, me out. So obviously, we're recovering the Phantom of the Opera 2004. Obviously, <laughs> right. uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, in case you were wondering, um, <laughs> uh, previous uh, yeah. previous episode number was 53, and the guest on that one was Christina Barnes. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So this. So prior to this, Christine's had just like that fresh ingenue look on Broadway they just kind of had that ingenue look vocally that is not a role that should be played by somebody in their late teens early 20s uh the appropriate age for Christine uh, as a performer speaking as someone with the the background and the training is about 20 I think I was in for Christine a lot uh in the early 2000s and I think when I should have should have been cast uh I was 26 Okay. Um, because it, it is a demand it is a demanding role vocally. I mean, you're on stage for the whole show. Almost, all but like twenty minutes of the show. <laughs> and you're singing constantly. And it's all in a very comfortable place in the in the voice and everything, but you have to be prepared for that. Um so then you know, my history has kind of gone on with the show and more recently I've been uh pursuing Carlotta. Um <laughs> My my great story now is that the night before they announced the show was closing, I was coaching Carlotta with the assistant conductor for the Broadway production. I had just made my contacts to get in to see the right people. Oh my God, go away. <laughs> Sorry, didn't forget my phone was my phone was happening. Go away. Um, 
And yeah, so I was coaching Carlotta with the assistant conductor who seemed to like me very much and was like, I would love to coach with you again. Uh, I'll see if I can get Kristen to come in. If you know, you know, Kristen is like who you have to be in front of to get cast in this show. Kristen Blodgett. She's like Lloyd Webber's musical director for everything. Um, So if you want to get cast in anything Lloyd Webber, you need to get in front of her. And then the next day, the announcement came out that the show was closing. So, (laughs) Yeah, but like they pushed back the closing date. And I have a feeling they're going to push it back again. They're not going to push it back again. They're not? This is official? The, so so you're going to have to edit this out because I, I have some inside information. Um, <laughs> so let me fill you in on the inside information. Um, so again, this is off the record, but I will fill you in on this nonsense. <laughs> okay, so how many times have you actually... I know I've asked you this probably... As a our right, conversation, right? As our conversations, because before insane. recording, yeah. How many if times you, have you seen the stage show? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I started seeing it in 1993 in Los Angeles uh, with the sit down production at the Amundsen. I was in high school at the time, and you could get two tickets for fifteen dollars each on a student ID. So every chance I got, I could get someone to drive me into Los Angeles and buy tickets. I would buy tickets. Uh, and then of course I've moved to New York and it's easily accessible here. I've probably seen it well over a hundred times and I do say, you know, that's, that's research. Um, (laughs) uh, I have a friend who jokes with me and says, yeah, you've basically paid the salary of one ensemble person for at least a week. I'm like, sounds like it, (laughs) but okay. So then how many times have you seen the movie? This movie? Not as many because I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Why do you hate the movie? It is badly directed. Okay. It is badly cast. (laughs) It it is. um, Joel Schumacher had no understanding of what this movie was about or what this production was about. Um, And you should see my my copious notes that I took. Um, You know, my, my, I mean, you saw, you saw the picture I posted of Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler's face on 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 uh, Instagram um every performance with two exceptions there are only two performances in this film that I think have any place being there um and that's Minnie Driver and Patrick Wilson okay Um, I did want I wanted to talk about them because uh mm -hmm. listening to the last episode I was like oh wow I focused more on the show than the movie so let's right. focus more on the movie this time so let's focus on the movie because i have a lot to say about the movie. so like yes i i a thousand percent agree with you with mini driver and patrick wilson like i i mean i know mini driver has done other musical based properties mm-hmm. since this but i feel like she's the only one in this this cast well what's funny about so i have like a very love-hate relationship with carlotta in this film because Number one, Minnie Driver understood the assignment and like she can do no wrong in my eyes. She is freaking amazing. However, the character was rewritten for the film in such a way that like she's in a completely different movie from everybody else. Um, <laughs> like, like she is like high camp, you know, shouting, yelling. She, and that's not who Carlotta is. Um, it is in this film. Um, but Carlotta is a very real character and in the stage production she's funny because she's real not because she's loud screaming over the top and that's 
how she was directed for the film. She's loud, screaming over the top. She, you know, I mean, it's my act. That's my favorite line in the whole thing. And I will just wander around and say that. Um, <laughs> she's, uh, but she's a perfectionist. She's, she's had this job for five years. Why has she had this job for five years? Certainly not because she sucks, you know? And it kind of annoys me in the film because when she's, you know, when she starts singing, think of me, you see like the cleaners out in the house and they start stuffing cotton in their ears and stuff. I'm like, even in this movie, she's not a bad singer. Her, you know, she's, she's a good singer. It's um, the woman who dubs her was the current Carlotta in London at the time. And she's also, uh, uh, yeah. And she's also the confidant in the Emilio sing. So she actually does show up on screen. Um, Carlotta is not a bad singer. Carlotta is a self-indulgent singer. That's why the Phantom doesn't like her because she's, she's there for herself. She's there for, you know, think, Think of that cry of undying support. She's there for the audience. She's there for the adulation. She's not there for the art, but she's very serious about her art, you know? And in this film, she's just, no, she she is over the top camp. This is what you think of when you think of a diva, you know? The face you gave when you just said diva, by the way. I'm so happy it's just for me. It is just for you. You're going to get all the, you can get all the, all my fun All the facial expressions. Yeah. Okay. So I, unlike you, I just watched this movie prior to this recording. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. woke up early to watch this and I was falling asleep. (laughs) You know why though? But, but, but I don't, it's not interesting right you're right and that's what's yeah and when you said that joel schumacher didn't know how to direct this i was just like you're right because like there's something about when it's sung live now i don't like i don't like the story at all Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the book the sure i get it i don't like it yeah i get it and that's just me but like there's something about watching somebody do a park and bark because that's mm-hmm. ba- that's basically what the show is, what the music is of this. I mean, yes and no. If it's done, so here's here's a lot of what bothers me about how this film is directed. No one has any life. Uh, it, again, Patrick Wilson and Mini. I mean, Mini Driver is nothing, but hello. Um, <laughs> but everybody else dead in the eyes. I was There's very nothing con- going on. Very confused at the end with Emmy Rossum. I was just like during. Don Juan, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. I was just like, "Are you horny for the for the Phantom? Are you, lady? Are you yeah. orgasming right now? Is that what like, like again? <laughs> this is this is where this is where like Schumacher did not. And and also, if you watch the way anything is directed in this film, um, he doesn't know what to do with singing. He doesn't know oh. how to film that. He doesn't understand that in a musical. Singing is just like doing a scene. It's just like saying a monologue. It's just like dialogue. And you film it the same, you perform it the same way. But if you watch, like (laughs) they spend, almost nobody is ever speaking directly to the person in the scene with them. (laughs) They're like speaking out. And if you watch- They're turning out? Right, right, right. Like, yes. And, and- Yes, you do that on stage, but even when you're cheating out on stage, you look like you're speaking to the person you're in the scene with. Nobody is playing off of anybody in this movie. Except for like Patrick Wilson and Minnie. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, 
and they're, and they're they, like always the exception to this and um, maybe the 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 gay company managers right there oh and that, oh and that's the other oh the company managers oh my god so mm, <laughs> uh, i i forgot until i i watched it this last time just how disgusting they make andre which in andre? andre he's ugh, it doesn't even matter um <laughs> okay <laughs> they're they're a little more interchangeable in this than they should be um it's one of the gay company managers yes one of the gay com- well you know, okay see but he's not gay and, and you're gonna and when i explain this to you so in the stage production andre is has no idea how to run an opera company but he genuinely loves opera and he comes in he's he's wowed by you know he walks in on that hannibal rehearsal and he's just in awe of you know this is like theater child who's never been into a real theater before he's just awed by it he's Carlotta is this goddess he's seen all of her performances he's he's a fanboy in the stage show in the movie he's a lecherous old dirty man um there is (laughs) yeah uh so in the stage show like uh Meg comes out and does her little dance and she's very good and Andre says who is she and oh Meg Jury, Madame Jury's daughter. Um, the delivery in the movie is, oh, who's that girl? Oh, and it's like God, obvious yeah. he is looking to get her into bed. And Madame Jury is like, that's my daughter. Um, and we'll talk about Madame Jury in a minute. Um, <laughs> that's my daughter. Hands off, get away. And then Christine comes in and he's like, ooh, who's this? And he's like, oh, Chris, this is Christine. Like, she's an orphan. Oh, she's an orphan. She has no family. And then Madame Jury again comes in and like, she's like a daughter to me. And like this whole thing, you know. So there's this whole, whole just lascivious, dirty old man thing going on with Andre that just doesn't exist in the stage production, um, which just, I'm like, Ugh, it's just creepy and gross and stop it. You know? I, re- I really don't like this movie. No, this movie is terrible. And I, I ha- like somebody, um, when I was, you know, posting some Instagram stories, uh, one of my, one of the girls that I follow, you know, she, she messaged me and she's like, She's like, yeah, I mean, it's got its problem. She's like, but this is what got me into theater. And this is da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, and I get that. And I and I appreciate it for that because it was to like the generation after me what the stage production was for, for my generation, which was like our gateway drug into theater. Um, and, and so like it, on the one hand, it brought that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, people were like, oh, I want to do Phantom of the Opera. On the other hand, it gave people really messed up ideas about what the show is and about who these characters are. And uh, so, like listening to your original podcast, the adjective that what was her name that she did the podcast? Christina Barnes. So the adjective that she used most frequently in terms of the Phantom was sexy. He's sexy. Well, she. I think she was also just talking about Gerard Butler. Is right, right, and that's the problem because that's if you if you look at any of like these young fangirls. Um, who like this was their introduction to Phantom this was their introduction to theater they've got this idea that the Phantom is just supposed to be sexy because Gerard Butler is so sexy and there should be a sexiness about him there should be a sensualness about him it is not in his appearance and every time they're talking about sexy they're talking about Gerard Butler is fucking gorgeous to look at and you know no argument from me but that takes away from the character that takes away from who he's supposed to be yeah i could see that i mean he's also not a good person at all oh god no (laughs) like he's a he's a petulant child Mm -hmm. who 
is who basically kidnaps Christine and then yeah. just like magically lets her go at the end. I don't understand. No. He well, he's absolutely the whole here here's how I have always looked at him. He doesn't know how to have a interpersonal relationship, romantic or otherwise. <laughs> right, cuz you know, yeah. we see that in this movie that right. uh, Madame Giri steals him away and hides him in the Right, which house. is also which is also a huge problem that we we can talk about in a minute. Um <laughs> There's so many problems. Wow. Um, so he, so when he first sees Christine and he, he kind of you know falls in love with her voice or whatever, he's not in love with her. He's looking to control her and manipulate her and possess her until the end of the movie when he lets her, or at the end of the show, when he lets her go, when she comes back and she gives him the ring and he says, Christine, I love you. That's the first time he says, I love you. And he means it. And it's actually, he loves her because he's learned to let her go because he, he's had that epiphany of, I can't, loving is not possessing and owning and controlling. Loving is making sure the person I love gets to live their best life. Okay. Cause you know, they don't really explain that in the movie. No, of course they don't because the movie, I think, I feel like the movie wants you to think that she should go with the phantom. I think the movie thinks it's it's playing off of Gerard Butler is sexy Gerard Butler sexy because if you look at (laughs) like to get to the to the to the makeup oh Jesus Christ what makeup um first of all it's completely inconsistent every shot it's completely inconsistent sometimes he looks like a little swollen something like like he's been stung by bees or something sometimes it's like red and you know like like and the other thing, too, is that, okay, so the mask only covers a certain part of the face, right? right? Mm-hmm. The eye hole goes around the eye. But then sometimes the makeup, when the mask is off, there's, mm-hmm. like, stuff under his lid. And I'm like, we would have seen that. Right. With the mask on. Right, yeah. Like, like literally, when he, you know, in, in the end, when, when, like, the mask comes off and everything, like, he's got a droopy eye, he's got no eyebrow, and he looks like he's got some kind of bad skin condition. He's not scary. He's not terrifying. He's not. This is not somebody who would have been taken and put into a freak show because he was so hideous. Like the, you know, go do some research on freak shows of the era and like the people that they had in freak shows were terrifying. You know, this yeah. this man had a mild skin rash that you know. A little, a little charcoal pencil you draw on the eyebrow. He would have been fine. We're talking about a time period where you know there had recently been you know so, some wars and you know people had limbs blown off and you know syphilis was a thing that didn't really have a cure and like that did some horrible. Like, there were people who lived very normal lives, looking far worse than he does in this movie. And like, so I'm just not buying this. I'm so hideous. I have to hide away from the world line you know and like a hundred years prior to the story mm-hmm. like people were using lead and charcoal mm-hmm. based makeup that was eating their faces yeah i'm i'm telling you <laughs> queen elizabeth the first if you got all her lead paint off probably looked worse than this yeah so i'm just <laughs> like know? okay guys so it better... doesn't you know and and what makes me angry about that is like this you know this is something that supposedly had a budget i mean you look at the opulence of the sets and you know this had a budget but you know, the two best film makeups for a Phantom of the Opera film are 
1925 Lon Chaney. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, him figuring shit out. Yeah, we which we've which we've discussed. Right. Yeah. You know, experimenting, you know, putting wires up his nose and cotton balls in his cheeks, and you know. Um, and <laughs> the uh 80s horror slasher starring Robert England as the Phantom of the Opera. Have you not seen this? I don't think I've seen that one. You have to see it. This is this is like a very underrated movie. It is like um it's weirdly accurate in some ways. And and weirdly, completely off the track in some ways. But I think that his makeup in that film is probably the closest they've done on film to how he's described in the book. Like, he literally has no nose in, oh, that, in that film. Like, the wow. makeup is, yeah. So, you know, yes, go go watch that movie. It's, it's and, like, and obviously, it, it's obviously. <laughs> This version, the two, we're in 2004, we have CGI. This movie has G- CGI mm-hmm. in it. You l- could have done like patches where you see the muscle right. or something. Like, right. it didn't have to be prosthetics. It could have been. He's, yes, he's described as looking like death. He has a death's head. My theory has been that he, he had some form of leprosy. Because not all leprosy is contagious. Not, not all leprosy... Uh, but you know he's described in the novel as smelling of death and of having a death's head and here in this film he's got a mild sunburn so <laughs> it's it's just like he got splashed with hot water and that's what it looks like right. that's what yeah. it looks like from his nose back right. to his cheek and everything this this is this is not a man who is like shunned by society because he's so hideous this is this is i i don't know how he got this thing in his head because there's no way a freak show would have picked him up when he was a kid. There's just no way. Which brings us to Madame Jury. <laughs> yes. Dear God. So first of all, I again, I love Miranda Richardson. And like when I heard she was cast, I was like, amazing. And then I saw the performance. <laughs> first of all, she is the only person in this film outside of Carlotta and Pianji who speaks with an accent. She has decided that she is going to do a French accent as Madame Jury. And Even though no everyone else, else is supposed to be French, right? So that well, see, here's the thing about here's here's why this discussion comes up a lot. Like, why in Phantom, why in Les Mis are all these people speaking with British accents? Well, there's a reason for this. Uh, number one, we all know these shows take place in France. Therefore, we have to suspend disbelief. They're not speaking English; they're speaking French. Yes, <laughs> you know. So, if they were speaking English with a French accent, it would be weird. I so think everybody. This, just thinking this, about it, by the mm-hmm. way, this goes back to like Shakespearean times because, right. like, uh, Romeo and Juliet, it's in Italy, but they're not speaking mm-hmm. Italian or right. with Italian accents. So you kind of so so what tends to happen with shows like this is everybody just kind of does a, like a neutral British or mm-hmm. sometimes even American, but everybody's got kind of the same accent. The only difference is people who are other. So in the case of Phantom, that would be Carlotta and Pianji who are Italian. So it makes sense for them to be speaking French with an Italian accent. Yes. Same thing with like, uh, with Les Mis, you have the Tenardiers who are like these broad cockney because they're comic relief characters because they are other. Right, 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 you're right. So for Madame Giry to be the only person in this cast who's speaking with a French accent throws everything off. And you're just kind of like, wait, what? What, Honestly, what? didn't what? pay what? attention. What? I didn't care. Okay, well, I obviously I do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then I just seeing Meg pop up. I feel like Meg has only like three costumes in this whole movie. 
she's only had three costumes in the, in the show too but well like that's the other thing is so so here's the other thing that drives me nuts um again schumacher has no idea how to film singing so what does he do in a lot of this he has them speak yeah yeah, there's dialogue yeah instead of and, and you can tell like i mean it rhymes and you can tell like this is supposed to be sung but he doesn't have them like speak in a way that feels real like he has a, they they whisper speak little lottie thought of everything and nothing her father probably yeah i'm like no kids come on mm-hmm. and so meg so meg comes in after the the after christine has you know had her big triumph and, and meg comes i have never seen anybody's best friend so freaking unenthusiastic about wow you sounded real good christine that was awesome there's like there's no i like if my friend you know if if i went on as carlotta tomorrow my best friend would be backstage jumping up and down giving me big hugs and you know oh my god you were amazing it was so good and there's meg where in the world have you been hiding oh you know it's just there's nobody has any energy in this film except Carlotta. No, nobody has any life. Everybody is, there's nothing going on behind the eyes. <laughs> Everybody's right. there to, to say their lines and to sing pretty. And they don't really sing pretty, but, <laughs> yeah, but that's what they're there for. Cause like Emmy Rossum doesn't sound like she has the strongest soprano. Cause how old was she? How she was 16 when she was cast. She turned 17 during the filming, which is just creepy because Patrick Wilson was like 28. Do you want me to destroy White Christmas for you right now? Oh, I, I know about that. No, I know. They're all like that. <laughs> Back then they were all like that. But um, but this one, you know, Raul and Christine are only supposed to be about two years apart. They're they're pretty close in age. Huh. Okay. And it, yeah. And it's just, ugh, it's, it's creepy. It's creepy. Like they, you know, they, they met when he was, 14 and she was about 12 right and they they did the thing and it's like hey i know you but you don't remember me hey i remember you but you don't right right and it's just it's like the whole thing it's just and it just keeps going and then we get into so they do they do the they do the the opening you know of the show the prologue oh and by the way that that is madame jury in the prologue there because you and, and Christina were uh, debating about whether that was Madame Jerry or Meg. It's actually Madame Jerry. Yes. Um, yes. I saw and, that. Yeah. I saw that now. And then Patrick Wilson and the, the best makeup ever. Old age makeup. I mean, it's better than the Phantom makeup. You're right. It is. I mean, it is. Um, so then when they flash forward, it says 1870. It says that this takes place in 1870. Flashback. Yeah. The flashback. Sorry. Flashback. Um, the Paris Opera House was not completed until 1875. Is this just like a musical theater moment where it's they're at a party and yeah, okay, it's not it's not a show within the show. No, no it it is it is literally it is New Year's Eve. Every, it, uh, in in the movie, it's three months since they've last seen the Phantom, and in the show, it's six months. 
Um, it's literally New Year's Eve. Everybody's there to have a party and have a good time. They think the phantom's gone. They're celebrating. They're going to have a great new okay. season. I yeah. I didn't know if it was like a routine or something no. or some sort of gallant no, no. performance. It's, it's, it's a party. Okay. Because it... That's the thing also with this show. It's like, sometimes I don't know when they're not singing for the audience. Right. No, I get that. When they're doing performative singing, I should say. Because like, when they do, when they're in Don Juan, it feels like Phantom and Christine are having one conversation Mm -hmm. while the show is going on. Yes and no. I mean, and in the film, it's completely... Yeah, because like, well, in the film, mm. like you have the extras, the dancers in the background doing their choreography. You have Phantom. Why? Yeah. You what? Again, Joel Schumacher does not know how to film a musical well, number. Well, he keeps well, them well, across the stage from each other the whole time. Well, that that's why I was just like, are we now in like musical theater land where these two are in a different plane of existence and they're talking, they're singing to each other, but like the show is going on and they're doing a different. It shouldn't I, be. I, it I, shouldn't I be. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean what it should be. So, so here's the thing in the stage production, they do make it less obvious that there's been a switch. And and this scene, even in the stage production has always bothered me because very like the phantom should be coming out and, you know, putting on an Italian accent at minimum. Um, but, and you know, clearly, gonna... well, and, and in this one, clearly yeah. she should know sooner that it's Right, hip. because they don't, yeah, because in the stage production, it's very clear that she's not sure that it's him until a certain point. Um, whereas this, like, he comes out, you know who it is. And again, they spend the majority, you've got all these policemen and, you know, Raul and everybody there to, like, ready to catch this man. Uh, and they don't do anything. Right. They're they're like like you're not putting Christine in danger because they are on opposite sides of the stage for the majority of this song. Well, they're looking for a you guy know? in a white mask. That's they're looking for a guy. Yeah, place. they're they're confused. The little the little black mask confuses them. You know this. The, the, and this is like the, these are like all the things that come around. So then, uh, like, look at the the graveyard scene. So. Okay. again like in the stage show the graveyard scene has always been something i have a little bit of a problem with because they're the the stakes don't seem enough so i'm one of i'm kind of the exception uh in that i like that they do the sword fight okay like i think that that kind of ups the stakes a little bit that gives Raul an opportunity to see that yes this person is human this is not a ghost this is not something supernatural this is human and first of all it's very badly choreographed <laughs> okay i mean let's face it my favorite movie is the princess bride and that has the greatest sword fight of all time so it does mm. um so but but this sword fight is like it's clumsy like raul is supposed to be a military raul is supposed to be going into the navy like raul is not and he's losing and he's losing and i'm like that's and, and like if the sword fight was good that would that would be fine if like the phantom was you know a, a good swordsman uh which is possible um and the way this thing ends like raul gets the upper hand and he's like right there he's like he's he's at a point where he could either kill him or you know tie him up and you know take him back to the opera house what does christine do no raul Stop him. not like this not like this well how then but and, but then so they go he, 
back to the opera house right. and you're like no just keep going right like what needed to happen what needed to happen was for Ralph to get the upper hand to wound the phantom in such a way that he has to retreat so it doesn't get stopped necessarily but he's got to retreat and he's got to get out of there uh, otherwise he's going to be captured but but there's this whole i've got him we're gonna get him no Ralph, not like this fuck you you just like you you just sealed your own fate right <laughs> like stab stab your sword through his shoulder and into the ground right right like there like there were there were options here like he didn't have to kill him there were definitely options here where you know they could have like brought him in you know and and it's it's just it's a cop out it's a directorial cop out and it makes me angry because <laughs> there were ways this could have been handled and it would have been fine but you um, got the graveyard opulent scene. Ooh. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I like that snow coming down. Like this movie, visually, outside of people, <laughs> is very nice to look at. That opening when they are transitioning from present mm-hmm. to past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I still give it to them. That is that's the best part of the movie, right there. That is the best. That's it. it. Don't need to watch any further than that. (laughs) Like, watch, watch that opening. Because, like, I don't. I had this thought, and I'm intrigued by what you think. Did it feel like the sync was off with their singing and their lip movement? Oh, there, there definitely are spots where that's yeah. Okay, because I was just like totally. You're not saying the right word or it, it i guess it's just there's, emmy rossum's face isn't moving i mean there's actually yeah she's just no expression out her and kristen stewart man uh. <laughs> and i'm like what well, you're singing but clearly you can emote while right singing and there's and there's definitely a couple of spots where you can tell it was adr'd and like they didn't actually say the line in the scene but they had to go back and like adr it my god <laughs> god there's so much of that there it's it's just this and i always said when they talked about you know making this into a film what was going to sell it was the title you didn't need to hire gerard butler you didn't need to hire you know antonio was was attached to it for a little bit he only did like 300 at the time right i know i know but but he was still he still like had something you know, you didn't need to hire names. You could have gone with people, you know, who were unknown. Because you could have gone with, you know, more theater performers who could cross over into into film. But they decided they needed, you know, star power. And, they, you know, Patrick Wilson is the only one with any musical theater credit. Really? As far as I, I mean, know. you could tell. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, he's the only one who's got any musical theater background worth, yeah, worth I'm, mentioning i'm trying to see okay emmy rossum was like here and there oh 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 Prior. speaking of this this is another conversation that needs to be had so when emmy rossum was cast they made this big deal about how she had sung at the met opera no but they made it they made it sound like she had emmy rossum was part of the children's chorus at the met they actually found they, they did like a they did like a, a a discussion about it on 60 minutes or something and they actually found film of her she was on stage with Pavarotti and they <laughs> show this picture of like Pavarotti 
it must have been um Boem. And on like these these children like you know around him on stage, like, oh yay. And then they had to like highlight where she so they made this they made this big deal out of oh she's got opera experience because she's sung at the met no 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 no. here's how the children's chorus works number one you have no training as a singer because they don't want you to sound like a professional they want you to sound like a child (laughs) once as a as a girl once you start getting boobs once you start you know looking womanly you're fired you get no um It doesn't give you any kind of clout to be like, oh, well, now I can go into the adult ensemble. It doesn't give you any clout as, well, I I sang here when I was, no, it means nothing to the opera. And if if you're a girl in the children's chorus, you're just in the chorus because all the solos go to boy sopranos because that's just tradition in opera. So so all this big deal that they made about, oh, Emmy Rossum sang at the Met was bullshit. (laughs) Okay. Uh, you we we kind of did talk about stuff that we wanted to that w- we felt was left out in the last episode. Mm. Is there anything else you want to talk about? This is your time. Can we can we <laughs> can we talk about so so when, when I heard that you know Joel Schumacher was going to be directing it, it was like oh my god, um, that's the guy who put nipples on Batman. Um, is the Phantom going to have nipples? This is um, also this is also the guy that wrote the script for the Wiz movie. Oh dear God, I did not know that. Yeah, you go okay. back. You go back and watch that, and then you're like, "What happened?" <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So I, 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 we, I, I recently covered it on here, and I was just like, "Joel Schumacher wrote the screenplay for the Wiz movie," <laughs> and then you watch this, and you're like, "Joel Schumacher wrote the script for the Wiz movie." <laughs> wow, I did not. That that is news to me. Yeah. But yeah, so he did not put nipples on the Phantom. However, he's very close, it felt like. And, oh no, but in the Hannibal scene, this is like my favorite. There is like a guy in the chorus, like a, an ensemble dancer, who has gold pasties over his nipples. Okay, okay. Let's talk, and... about, let's talk about makeup and costuming in this. Oh, I'm very confused. There's the one. Uh huh. The f- I think it's the first opera that were uh-huh. the rehearsal Hannibal. where yes i don't understand what's going on with carlotta's makeup okay so she's got gold Hannibal, yeah gold. Hannibal, you know takes place in like egypt or or something like that. i don't even know for sure it, but you know, hannibal crossing the alps and the whole thing um and so she's like this princess she's hannibal's mistress it's just it's just opera makeup. It's just opera makeup. You know, it's just, okay. it's like Turandot. It's like. <laughs> Got it. Got it. That's you know, all I need. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. She's just like this kind of fancy is he, character. Is Lloyd Webber, Andrew Lloyd Webber parodying an opera or something for this? Um. Yeah. Yes. And no. I'm not really sure. I, I think Hannibal is kind of supposed to be like, like Turandot or maybe Aida or, you know, that kind of because yeah because yes all all his op, you know operas within within the show uh you know like uh il mudo is marriage of figaro like i i saw marriage of figaro at um at the met this last season and when the overture was playing and stuff and i'm listening i'm going holy crap that's il mudo it's like like he's you know it, it's not like a, an exact lift but it's like so obvious that's where he got il mudo also i'm watching this and i'm not understanding why i don't like it because I feel like I should. 
See, you need to come see the stage production with me, and then you'll like it. That's I have seen the stage production, and I still don't like it. I know it's because you haven't you you, you don't it, understand it. I think, and that's well, okay. <laughs> I think it's because sometimes I feel like we're supposed mm-hmm. to be sympathetic towards the Phantom, and I'm like, no, he is legit a bad guy. Why am mm-hmm. I supposed to feel sympathy towards him? I think. Yeah, I think you are supposed to feel some sympathy for him. You know, he's definitely and like this is and this is the other thing about the movie that's a problem. In the novel and in the stage production, they they kind of allude to it. They don't talk about it as much, but in the novel, he had a life before coming to the Paris Opera. He lived in Persia for a while. You know, Madame Jury talks about in the stage production. You know, he he built for the the Shah the Shah of Persia a maze of mirrors. He had this kind of clout where he wasn't hi- living in hiding and he was he was kind of used by the the Parisian government uh, by the Shah of Persia uh, and he did so, and, and he became an architect he built the Paris Opera that's why he's able to hide in all the catacombs and everything because he was one of the architects and one of the builders on the Paris Opera and see that would have been a great detail mm-hmm. to know in this movie right. <laughs> but but that, but that but that's not in the movie though because in the movie Madame Jury rescues I mean the way it plays out she's like I took him from this freak show and I brought and I brought him to the opera house which did not exist at the time uh and he and took care of him like she literally says that. Like I took care of him. Yeah, we're missing. And, and if you watch her, like she she facilitates. Like, this is the other problem. She facilitates this relationship between him and Christine. So Christine goes is in her dressing room after the Hannibal after her triumphant debut, and uh, Raoul comes in and they have their little scene. And Raoul leaves. He's going to come back for. Her, and you see the Phantom's hand lock Christine's dressing room. Yes. You see the key locked, and you see Madame Jury standing off in the corner, just watching. She knows, she knows exactly what's going. On. She knows what's going on, and she's trying to facilitate this relationship between the Phantom and Christine. And that's not how it happens in the show. That's not and, like she she's creepy in 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 this, in this way uh, in the movie uh, that she's not in any other. And also, I feel like when we're at the beginning in the Hannibal uh, dress rehearsal or whatever. Mm-hmm um when after carlotta storms off and they're like an understudy she's the one who nominates christine and i'm just like you're yeah. giving like weird exposition right now and right. i feel like we're dropped in the middle of this story and, and you know what and that's and that's another thing about this so if you watch the scene the angel of music scene angel of music perfectly explains what happened father once spoke of an angel i used to like perfectly explain what they've written all this dialogue before that. <laughs> so Christine's like got all this dialogue where she's like, oh, my father. And he said he would send me the angel of music. And I'm like, we don't need this. You're about this to is, sing this. It's in it's again, Joel Schumacher does not understand how to film musicals. You know, he, he, nobody ever stands still. If you watch like, like your prima donna, everybody's it's it's like watching an episode of the West Wing. Everybody's walking through hallways. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's, you know, God, we can't stand still. Every- and why are they so intent on bringing Carlotta back? In the stage, I- I've always kind of questioned this a little bit in the stage production, but in the movie, it's even more obvious. Like, yes, she's been the diva for five years. And, she's, and again, she's not a bad singer. People need to get that out of their heads. She's actually very good at what she does. But 
everybody's clamoring for Christine all of a sudden. Like, she, you know, they, they open the doors to the outside and there's like this huge crowd and she thinks they're all there for her. And, you know, the guy steps forward and he's like, give this to Christine, give this to Christine. Nobody is saying bring Carlotta back. Right. Nobody oh. is saying bring Carlotta back. Also, when the Phantom swaps out her little spray, mm-hmm. I thought that was poison or something. Right. And, and see, and that's, and, and again, that's something that, is kind of explained in the novel. Like, that's not what happens. Uh, it's explained in the novel that the Phantom is a master ventriloquist. This is, this is one of his right. many skills. You're right. Which is, right, yes. which is why he can throw his voice. So when Carlotta croaks, it's because he's throwing his voice. And that's not explained in the But I thought production. it was something to do with the, in the movie, it in the seems movie, Yeah, like in the movie, it's that he switches out her, her little spray. spray interesting you know so it, it takes away a lot of the mystery and then oh god we even haven't even talked about the final layer um so then there's the final layer okay now in the stage production christine has agency like christine like this is this is where you see christine take over and she's she's going to be take over her life and and she does nothing in the final layer and you know why she does nothing because of that set she stands on this like bank they can't have her go into the water because if she goes into the water, that wedding dress gets wet. And if they have to do retakes, continuity's fucked. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm so glad you said that. Cause that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, she's not getting, I, it's either that or Emmy Rossum herself is just like, this dress already weighs 20 pounds. No, no, it, it's <laughs> a continuity thing. She can't, if she goes in the water and that dress gets wet and you have to do a retake, what are you going to do? You can't wait for that dress to dry out. Yeah. And I was watching it. I was just no. like, Clearly, so Phantom is unhinged st- at this point. Yes. And she's just there, like, uh. So she stands passively on the bank. She takes no, like, in the stage production, she takes agency. She gets in his face. And there, right. I've seen some Christines who will physically push him away from Raoul. You know, she's just like, angel of music, who is She's just there. She's who just designed this? There. There's like, there's, there's so much no- water here. There is no, no, oh, and for somebody who's so obsessed with his, you know, his looks and so angry about his looks, there are a lot of damn mirrors down in that layer. Did you and notice he that? fucking breaks. Right. I, my friend and I, so my friend was over here watching it with me and I looked at her and I'm like, why is he breaking these mirrors? And she goes, because he forgot which one is the exit. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Because then he hits the one and he walks through it. I'm like, you, I'm like you're right. He forgot which mirror is his out. I'm like, yeah, so like I didn't realize that's why he was banging, on, crashing on the mirror. I mean, maybe that's not why, but that seems to be why. <laughs> it makes like, sense. What? Yeah, I well, so and like and like you said, he built the Paris Opera, and I think that they were trying to pay homage to that, but like they should have just downright said it. Right, but but they but they didn't, but they couldn't because he was brought to the opera house as a child. Yeah. But he was, but that's not possible. <laughs> um. Okay. Oh, and then the unmasking—that is like the worst unmasking ever. Wait the the ending one or the, the no first? the first one like she's supposed to like sneak up on him and like boop she comes over she's like caressing his face and he's like oh this is nice like he. He he wouldn't let her do that. He doesn't want her anywhere near that mask. But he's like, they're, they're like, they're like having a moment there. And then she pulls it off. And his reaction is, eh. 
and he never so in the stage production you know he does it he yells at her he kind of chases her around and then he collapses because he's without his mask he's lost everything he's lost his humanity he's lost his confidence he's lost yes exactly and he's but in the film he stands upright the whole time he's upright the whole time he does uh sarah brightman talked about it in rehearsals um when she when she gives him the mask back at the end of it she describes it she says she's she's giving him back his dignity i think your cats agree with you <laughs> uh, yeah well he's he's going is it time to eat yet it is not time to eat yet because he he thinks it's always time to eat <laughs> <laughs> you know and so so you like you lose he's never he's never vulnerable until he's, until like maybe uh-huh. the very end right then it's not right enough. and that's and i think that's why you can sympathize with him in the stage production is he has moments of vulnerability and moments where you see there is a human there where you see there is a person with feelings who has just been really screwed over by life and not handled it well you know and and which is not to to justify anything he's done which is not to say you know anything he did was okay but it gives you an insight into who he is and he's never that in this film he's he's just kind of angry all the time and there's no vulnerability and and i think i just kind of hit on that right now (laughs) can i all right let's jump to the show for a hot second because i Mm -hmm. have a i have a question i asked christina this Mm -hmm. and she kind of she gave an answer and i want to hear yours Mm -hmm. how would you feel if the phantom was played by a bass so i've like never thought about yeah i'll give you an example mm -hmm. i'll give you a great example eric owens as the phantom so my favorite phantoms are actually baritones. I don't okay. like the high. I, I mean, I, I like, you know, the higher tenor, the tenor. just fine. But my very first phantom was Davis Gaines, who was definitely a baritone. But I want, um, I want a bass. I don't think I want a bass because okay. he's got to, because he's got to sing with Christine. Basses can't sing with sopranos? Not that they can't, but it completely changes the color okay. and the sound. Yeah, okay. Um, I see that. I yeah, think, I, I think though, I, because because it changes the dynamic of anything he's singing with anybody else. I think though, with a character like the Phantom, mm-hmm. usually in theater and film and everything, right? Usually they're the lower part because they're more the mischievous, the mm-hmm. sinister, and everything. So, like whenever I hear a tenor. Mm-hmm. I'm always just very surprised because I'm like, that's usually for the ingenue. Mm-hmm. That's for right. Raul. Raul right. would be the, the tenor. And yet it's... they have a hard time finding a Raul who, who, who can actually sing it. Uh... I mean, Patrick Wilson didn't do the worst. No, no, I, I don't, I don't really have any issues with, with him. You know, like, I think he was fine. Um, but in, in the stage production, the, um, well, and part of the reason he didn't have a problem with it, though, is is like the one part in the stage production where I think Rawls have difficulty with the vocal line is is in Think of Me. Um, how young and innocent we were. And a lot of times, like that innocence, man, it can go very deadly do right. It's like... <laughs> and you get the you get the wrong actor in that role and all of a sudden he's 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 lovely 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 and then he's deadly do right and you're like wait what just happened um and i think part of the reason he didn't have that problem in the film is because i think that was another area where 
uh, he was directed to kind of speak sing, you know, where he didn't he didn't really sing it. <laughs> so they cut it without cutting it. Right. He's, he's wandering around the opera house trying to find her dressing room at that moment. Why? Because we can't sit still and watch somebody just sing. We have to be moving. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get sharp and flat? Costumes. Oh. We haven't I... touched on costumes. Oh, why are, you, why are you giving that face? Because they're terrible, mostly. They're like... Uh-huh. They're, everybody talks about masquerade. And like that's like the biggest thing for me is... Yeah, why is it all like silvers and blacks? Exactly. In the stage production... I, I mean, the lyrics are literally... It's, it's almost... Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat as we lift off, list off colors of what you're seeing. It's supposed to be this riot of colors. It's supposed to be this like sinister, dark, like scary, but not scary moment, you know? And Christine, I, you're like, Christine's supposed to have flashbacks because she's running into these people in masks that are kind of in these, these scary over the top costumes. And, you know, when she and Ral get separated, she's supposed to kind of freak out a little bit. Um, because she's she's having PTSD. And these costumes are black, white, maybe some gold and silver. And there's and and they're singing about how colorful everything is. I think it was <laughs> they wanted the red to pop. And uh, well and then that costume is fucking awful. Yeah, it's it's very it's like lackluster. it's like Matador. Oh, what did oh god, what did so so there's a, a friend of mine does this thing called um musical hell. Where she, on YouTube. <laughs> yes, she's <laughs> her description of him is Skeletor the gay blade. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean he looks like a matador. He doesn't look like a red death. He looks like a matador with a with a skull mask. He's not scared. And and why does Raoul leave her? As the fan and they, they put all this exposition in there that's not in there because they, they got rid of the chandelier drop. So there's all this exposition from the scene that comes after Masquerade in the stage production. Um, so Raul Ra- left her to get his sword and scabbard. Right, but like he doesn't like leave, like he doesn't like grab somebody and be like, take care of her. Or come he with just, me. Like, or come with me. He just like, he doesn't say anything to her. He just kind of goes away. <laughs> He's just kind of like, I'm going to take him out. Uh, bye. <laughs> oh, he boy. doesn't, he doesn't make sure she's protected. Which is very out of character for him. Yeah, and like, and I liked a lot of Carlotta stuff because, again, they were going with the mm-hmm. over-the-top diva trope. I know you don't like it, but mm-hmm. that's what they're going for this movie. And it's not that I, 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 I and like for the for the movie, it's okay. I would never want to see that in a stage production. I would never want to see it played that way in the stage production. In the movie, I can accept it, um, and I can partly accept it because it is Minnie Driver and Goddess, but <laughs> I feel like no, I think I think you should be able to. If they do it right in the stage version, so like I'm not saying Broadway uh-huh. is doing it, right. maybe like a touring company or like some. If you can, if you can justify the choice, yeah. if you can justify the choice and make it work, yeah, work, go with it. You know, but like, it, but, but like, like the conversation. So like, like when I when I was coaching it with Dale, we had a very long conversation about Carlotta and about how she's very real and she's funny because she's real because she believes everything she says she's not shouty and screamy and 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 also i worked with um dahlia who was the resident director and she worked with me a lot on carlotta because when i first started 
working on it. She's, you know, she's got that speech. These things do happen. Um, when I first saw the production, that's, that was very shouty. Um, I have a friend who played it in London and she said when she was going through the rehearsals, they would have her do that speech and then they'd have her sing the Hannibal cadenza and go back and forth because they wanted to make sure she wasn't blowing out her voice because at the time it was a very shouty speech. It was a very angry shouty speech. It's changed and it's more real now. And what it is, is it's her trying to not lose her shit. But it's I, her trying not to cry in front of people. It's her, it's her realizing you know, this is the first time that she's been, you know, this stuff has been going on for three years, but this is the first time she's like physically been attacked. But, she's scared, but she doesn't want anybody to know it. She has to stay in control. I'm more talking about a hypothetical production. Mm-hmm. Right. But you've got to like, find the justification for it. You have to find the reason for it. Where, But like also the design of everything. Because mm-hmm. like, I know it's frozen as mm-hmm. it is right now on Broadway and everything mm-hmm. in the West End. But like if you, if in this hypothetical production, make her, if you want to make her over the top, mm-hmm. go full force and like give her extravagant looking mm-hmm. costumes and like, Oh, the extravagant, the extravagant costumes she should have, regardless. But like, <laughs> turn it up to mm-hmm. max, and then mm-hmm. some. Like you know, have like ha- ha- basically mash the time period with Lady Gaga. Right, right, <laughs> right, and the, and you know, and and that that works for me. Yeah, where's the that... meat dress? Wait, where's the meat dress in this? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that actually that actually does work for me. Um, but like I said you've got to give me a justification for it. You've, so the, this was like the same thing, like when they put this new tour out and they made changes for the sake of making changes. Even the Broadway production right now, they've changed some lyrics for the sake of changing lyrics and they're not better. Okay. They're, you know, it, it's like they change. And in fact, in, in most cases, they're worse. Um, so I don't have a problem with, cha- I'm not somebody who's like, this is the show and it has to be done this way, but you have to justify to me why you're making this change does this change make sense or are you making it because you just don't want it to be the same? And so for the movie, they didn't tell us what those changes were really. Yeah. So for the movie, it was just, it it was Joel Schumacher going, I'm going to put my own stamp on it, I guess. I guess. Well, because I feel like the movie was in limbo for like a decade. It was, it was in limbo for a really long time because yeah, originally they were supposed to do it with Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman. And then that kind of fell through and they kind of aged out. Then they were going to be doing it with then Hugh Jackman was in talks to be doing it. Apparently, um, <laughs> apparently Michael Jackson wanted to do it real bad too. Apparently he was, oh. he was fighting for it. Um, you know, Antonio Banderas was supposed to do it for a, for a long time. You know, and and it went through. Yes, Joel Schumacher was attached to it originally, and then he kind of fell by the wayside. And then you know, Baz Luhrmann and uh, Tim Burton were both supposed Damn. to be talks for it. Yeah. I would I would be really interested to have seen either one of those films. I mean, there's always time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and then, you know, and, and then it came full circle and Joel Schumacher ended up back. Back in. And it's just he was just he was the wrong director. He didn't understand the material. He doesn't understand the genre. Um and and he he made it in you couldn't care about any of these characters because there was nothing to care about. And it's funny because both he and Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the screenplay. So you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't know where it got wrong, <laughs> considering. Well, I mean, I mean and I, I know and I very I know much. Yeah, I know you're complaining I very much, a lot about right. Joel Schumacher, 
But like Andrew Lloyd Webber also oh, had a hand in the script. Oh, honey, I have so many. Uh, I mean, <sighs> Lloyd Webber thought Love Never Dies was a good idea. I, I have a lot of questions about Lloyd Webber and and his uh un- his understanding of his own work. Honestly, how many how many melody lines are there in Phantom of the Opera? Is there like five melody lines? <laughs> yeah. So there's so there's a Think of Me melody line. There's the Angel of Music line, Music of the Night, and Prima Donna. And then Don Juan. So that's that's five. And 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 wishing. And wishing is its own thing. Yeah, because I'm I'm listening to this and I'm like, it's the same song, uh-huh. just different yeah. lyrics. Yeah. I mean, I get it, that's what happens in operas too. Yeah, I like, mean, yeah, you you want to reference things, everything needs to feel like it fits together and, and is cohesive. Um, but but yeah, you get a lot of callbacks and a lot of, you know. I'm like, why is this a callback? Why are we continuing this thought? I don't anyway. Know. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into Sharp and Flash, shall we? Sharp and Flash, okay. <laughs> Sharp Flash. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, or thought it could change, it's flat. And considering this is Second Chance Theater, we're going to see if John agrees with his former Sharps and Flats. So Ariana, <laughs> the time, the floor is yours. Go. Okay, so Sharps, obviously Minnie Driver. She's like, she's everything. Um, another thing that we didn't talk about is um, some callbacks to the novel that aren't in any other version of, of this stage production um, where Raoul falls through, he falls through the, uh, the stage after mask or the, the staircase after masquerade. And he's in that room of mirrors. Mm-hmm. So like, that's a callback to the novel because in the, in the novel uh... he's put into a mirrored torture chamber. Um, same thing with uh, him, like getting trapped in the lake. Um, so in in the novel, he's got a brother, um, and the brother gets drowned in the lake trying to find Raoul. Um, so so that was kind of a nice callback. So 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 there were some kind of Easter eggy things. Um, for the most part, I like. I don't want to really say the cinematography because obviously I hate that whole we have to walk everywhere. But the look of the film uh, is really funny because it kind of throw back to, especially in the, in the beginning. Uh, sequence uh the Hannibal rehearsal and stuff they kind of throw back to the night the original 1980s Sarah Brightman Steve Harley music video like it feels it feels like that um oh and Raoul's wig (laughs) Raoul's wig is totally a throwback to that music video if you haven't seen it go look it up okay (laughs) go look up go look I'll send I'll send you the link because because that video is something else and you'll see like stylistically I think maybe he watched that music video and kind of did take some of the stylistic stuff from that um and and put it into into the film um maybe yeah oh and my other my other sharp is um some of the instrumental music some of some of the the actual the actual scoring that was written for the film okay and what were your do you have any other sharps do you do you want to just go to flats let's go to flats okay what are your flats (laughs) casting in general casting (laughs) overall um the fact that they cast a child to play Christine who could not. So, cause like, here's the other thing. Christine has to be able to compete with Carlotta. Again, Carlotta is not a bad singer. So you have to have a Christine who can vocally, she's, she's got to be kind of a departure from what Carlotta is. She's like, like the new, you know, the new thing coming up, mm-hmm. but she's got to hold her own against Carlotta. That voice is not holding its own against Carlotta's voice. Interesting. Yeah. She's, it's weak, it's airy, there's no support to it, and she has no stage presence. 
She has one stage presence. Watch, watch that thing of me. She's just standing no, there. I there know. is nothing going on. I, <laughs> I, I did watch it, I think. <laughs> I don't think that was during one of my micro naps during this last yeah. viewing. So like, yeah. So I mean, my, my, my flats are really just the fact that with the exception of Minnie Driver and Patrick Wilson, nobody on this film understood the assignment. Nobody understood the assignment. Okay. So does John <laughs> agree with his former Sharps and Flats? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I said Minnie Driver as a Sharp and mm-hmm. I, I really did like the Candelabra hallway. When they're uh, during Fanwa the Opera, they're running down. The... I, I do like that. That's a throwback to, to the cocktail Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I don't care. I liked it, though. I and know, I, that's fine. Yeah. And I'm just like, how is this a thing? <laughs> like, it got me, it got me wandering well, my if you, thoughts where I was like... But if you watch that... So, so this is kind of where you, you see that Christine is enchanted and Christine is, is kind of hypnotized because you know, they go through that and it's like this magical thing and the arms, the candelabra and stuff. Then Meg comes through and everything and it's is not like... There. It's like, it's not there. It's dirty. And it's, so kind of the takeaway from that is, is Christine is, is in a trance and in a, you know, um, which may or may not... Uh, there, but... My former flat was jumping to the present too many times yeah i I still agree with that um i do have some new ones my new sharp wait do i have a new sharp i can't remember if i have a new sharp my new flat though is um is just the black it it is the black and white moments i don't i don't there's no need for it there's no need for it i I mean you you establish so both the show and the movie are actually a flashback for Raoul. This is Raoul. This should be Raoul's interpretation of events. But coming back to the present in the middle of the movie, and, and I, I guess maybe some of that had to do with the fact that, you know, we didn't have an intermission and we didn't have a chandelier drop in the middle of it. You know, it's just, but it, it's it's weird. It, it's, un- was, it's unnecessary. That was my new sharp, the chandelier, the mm. going into the past. Mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the chandelier with the lights and the colors coming and everything that mm-hmm. was cool and then i had to watch the rest of the movie um yes uh, uh would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist from the movie i would add the overture because the overture is actually extended and i, I i'd forgotten that uh, i'd forgotten that until until yesterday when i was watching it and i was like oh this is kind of this is this this extension on the overture at the end here. This this is actually good, yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I do kind of like the the journey to the graveyard. You notice I'm not saying any of the singing, um, <laughs> but what's what's really funny? What's really funny too is is that journey to the graveyard scene is actually um, turned into beneath the moonless sky from Love Never Dies. I haven't seen Love Never Dies. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. You want to real, you want to have a real big bitch fest? Um, you're gonna have to, but you're gonna have to come over here and watch it with me and get drunk because that's the only way to watch it. <laughs> that's the only way to watch it. We're we're gonna have to get together and and drink, and and order Chinese food. And, and I'm I'm not even kidding. Let's 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 plan this. This is the next thing. You and I are gonna watch Love Never, but we have to watch it together because, and we have to get drunk because it's really funny when you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, you know what? I agree with you with the overture. I Last time I said more other songs, but this time I'm like, no, I just want the overture, really. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't with any of those voices. The, the only the only good voices are Patrick Wilson and the uh, the actress who dubs Minnie Driver. Uh- 
and plus, like the overture is iconic, mm-hmm. and so like that's the one thing that they got right is the icon status of the overture. Yeah, like the re- I don't know what happened with the rest of it. I don't know. He doesn't know how to film a musical, but but it's also Andrew Lloyd Webber's fault because he wrote the goddamn script. <laughs> Yeah. Or there was, the, oh the yeah, concept. so so there there's another flight is all that extra exposition dialogue that they wrote in that they didn't need because they just say it in the, the next piece of music. Well, I think well, is Andrew Lloyd Webber credited as co-writing the script because Oh, I don't know. I didn't even a song. I I well, no because he didn't write the lyrics. Oh, I thought he did. No, Charles Hart and Richard Stilgo wrote the lyrics. Charles Hart, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Weber Weber doesn't do lyrics. Weber just does music. Weber doesn't do lyrics. He doesn't do lyrics. (laughs) Well, Ariana, this was fun. But we're done with the episode. (laughs) We did it. We We did it. it. And now people are either going to hate me or love me because they're going to be like, you just destroyed my favorite. How could you say my movie's bad? It's terrible. Guys, it's it's terrible if it brought you to, to phantom if it brought you to theater bless you i i appreciate it for that but please gerard butler sucks uh, ariana where could the I... good people what do you have what do you have to plug or promote or, or or better yet how can the good people find you so you can refer them to better recordings yes um so if you oh if if you uh yes you can find me on instagram i am lady aria at lady aria with a underscore at the end of it because somebody has my name um also on instagram um i do have a series i do have a, a, a series on phantom uh that has done surprisingly well over there um t- talking about pre-recording and some behind the scenes things um if you have questions about phantom at all let me know because I'm happy to talk about this. I will talk your head off. Obviously, again, she saw the obviously. show about a hundred times. I've been backstage. I've lain in the boat. I got yelled at. It was great. Um. Oh, in one of the 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 titular song boats. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm really good friends with Michelle McConnell, who is the longest running Carlotta on Broadway, and she gave me a backstage tour one time, and and we got backstage, and like, there's the boat, right? There's a picture of me on my Facebook. Um, there's the boat, and I'm like. And I asked, like, I asked permission. I didn't just, like, do this, like, all of my own volition. I was like, um, can I lie down in the boat? And she's like, and she goes, I mean, if not now, when? So I did. I laid down in the boat. I was like, oh, my God, my friends taking pictures. And then, like, I think it was probably a stage matter came out and was like, uh, excuse me. What? Get out of that. I'm, I'm like, I asked. I asked. She's like, who told you you could do that? I'm like, Michelle. Yeah. Oh, Way to throw but, her under the bus. Well, I mean, I asked permission. I didn't want to be like, I just I just did this on my own. Um, but I got the picture and it was worth it. So <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to plug or promote? Um, I am meeting today with a new repertoire coach and I'm gonna start working more seriously on some of my my opera stuff that I have like half learned from 20 years ago. And uh I am working on on getting some things put together. I don't know when that's gonna happen or how more that's gonna gigs? work out, but more gigs, more uh, I'm I'm just I've kind of decided I'm like I'm an event performer. Um, so hey, if you need if you're having a party and you just want somebody to come in and like sing an opera aria in the middle of it out of nowhere and then leave, call me because that's kind of kind of what I do. Um, 
<laughs> I am available for parties, bar mitzvahs, weddings, funerals, whatever you got, whatever you got. Uh- <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and if you want to, I don't, I don't know what to do for a call for action. I'm sorry. I'm a little lackluster today when it's, it comes to okay. the opera. But I mean, I, I can, don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. Uh, oh, did the movie version of Fan of the Opera get you into theater? I would like to know that. Um, yeah, just cause. Yeah. And, and then, and, and then, uh, and then let me know and I'll explain to you why you're wrong. <laughs> oh no and if you want to i have no filter anymore i'm sorry (laughs) no and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation well we're not doing a second chance theater we're talking about nine yeah bring it back to antonio banderas well kind of you know daniel day lewis is in the movie antonio banderas oh i guess oh no he did the stage production that's right the stage production damn it (laughs) <laughs> ariana thank you so much for you're popping welcome. by and dropping some knowledge on the fan of the opera you're welcome uh and bye for now everyone special thanks to justin johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to nick bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast and thank you to Castbox for hosting this podcast Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.